Hello and welcome everyone to the No Outlet Podcast. And uh, it's another first, believe it or not. This time, it's the first time that I'm going to be playing a recording from many, many years ago. We're going to go on the Wayback Machine tonight on the No Outlet Podcast, all the way back to 1989. That's a long time ago. No cell phones, really no internet, no email, none of that stuff, cassettes, CDs, albums even. Um, It was a much different time. But that was the year, not to get too nostalgic too soon, uh, Plymouth, New Hampshire was the location, Plymouth State College specifically, even more specifically, uh, it was WPCR Radio, 91.7 FM, The Rock of the White Mountains, even though we really weren't, you could barely hear us past campus, uh, and if you got really lucky, if you were on 93, you might be able to hear it for a few more minutes. And there's, there might have been a pocket at Waterville Mountain, but it really wasn't the rock of the White Mountains. It was the rock of Plymouth College, and that was it. But it was fun. Um, and I was lucky enough to be a DJ there um, at WPCR. And the, the subject of tonight's podcast is the uh, band The Smithereens and more specifically, the late, great lead singer and founder of the band, Pat D'Annunzio. And I really hope I'm saying that name correctly. It's my best guess. Um, But that's what it looks like to me, and that's how it's spelled on the cassette tape that I'm going to play. So I'm going with it. Um, Part of their promotional tour that year, um, they weren't a one-hit wonder. For those of you who don't remember the Smithereens, they actually had um, uh, many hits. Uh, They were live from 1980 all the way through to 2017. Um, They had a number one hit with the song Only a Memory. They had a number two hit with the song A Girl Like You. And then they had a top ten hit, um, Blues Before and After. And then they had a couple of other top 20 hits. So they were not a one-hit wonder. They put out music for a long time. And they had a little pocket of success. They um, They were somebody... At, at, at a very, you know, very crisp moment in time. And I was actually a fan of uh, a few of their songs. It was fun. Um, anyway, part of their promotional tour um, was to get interviewed by college radio stations. And at the time, I was a freshman, and there were a million upperclassmen that had way better radio time slots. I had, like, the shitty, I think at one point I had, like, um, uh, five in the morning spot. I think I had like an 11 on a Tuesday, you know, garbage spots. Um, but uh, it turns out that nobody in the radio station wanted to interview them for some reason. I don't know why, but nobody wanted to do it. So I was told that if I did the interview, I could get a better radio slot. And I said, yes, please. Um, so I did. And like I said, I was a fan of a few of their songs. So I figured it'd be kind of Easy. It's not a very long interview. I'm going to play it for you here in a bit. It's not going to just be me talking. Um, well, it will be me talking with somebody else in a few. Um, it's not a very long interview, and you can tell that Pat is he's being a sport, but he's really not digging the whole the whole thing. I think he'd probably rather be anyplace else than being interviewed by me at that moment. But he answered every stupid question that I could come up with. Um, 
and he did it with a relative smile on his face. But once in a while, his, his attitude comes through, and it makes me appreciate it that much more. Um, you know, and a, a couple of, of notes about the recording. It's off of a literal cassette tape played off an actual boombox. So the quality is not going to be um, super, super well-defined, but it's what I've got. And it's the slice of history uh, of that moment in time that I that is preserved. So it's what's going to be out there. Uh, my voice sounds like like the weirdest thing I've ever heard. I, I don't even I can't believe it's me. Uh, it almost seems like my voice and my voice alone was put through this special sound effect to make it like sped up and high. Um, and it just sounds weird. I mean, I guess it's me, um, but. <laughs> It's a, it's it's not a very great version of me, but hey, it was it was 1989, right? Long time ago, and maybe I sound better then. Um, so before I hit play on the cassette tape and let the interview go again, it's not very long. Uh, I just wanted to to point out and mention you know a few things since this was an opportune time to bring a few things up. Number one, uh, or letter A, if you will, I really miss cassette tapes. Um, I know that they could be a tonal pain in the ass. Like if the tape came out and you had to wind it back up again, that's bullshit. Um, you know, you put the pencil in there and you spin it around and sometimes you just couldn't, it was just too damaged and you couldn't fix it. Uh, it's also a pain in the ass to like fast forward or rewind to a certain song. And it's so much easier just to hit the forward button. Um, you know, and the quality wasn't great. Right. And they could melt. If you left them in your car and the sun was out, they would warp, they would bend. Um, you know, so there was a lot of, uh, lot of downside to the cassette as a medium for music. However, uh, in defense of the cassette tape, um, you still were able to get some uh, art into the sleeve. You know, you could have those long sleeves that folded out and you had all the original album art in there, which is kind of cool. Also, you could, you know, with a cassette, you could make, it was the first way to make mixtapes. Obviously, now you can do it in many different ways, but back then it was like a mixtape was a really cool thing to be able to create. Um, and that actual mixtape where you could like, you know, you could make the, the cover, however you wanted to look, you could write the, the songs down in a certain style, you know, that that doesn't exist anymore. And I also like the idea of, I don't know why it's stupid and it's old fashioned and I get that, but I like the idea of carrying, having music on me. Like I always thought there was a certain reverence of going to a music store and having to get, an album and it could be sold out. Like that's a concept that back in 1989 existed. You could go to a record store, you could be looking for a certain record and it's not there today. That reality no longer is a thing. It doesn't exist. So even though their time has passed and I had such a great cassette collection, I mean, I had just the best collection of cassettes. At least I thought so. And I was down in Hampton Beach seeing a concert and all of them got swiped out of my car. All of them and my stereo. Double whammy. So, anyways, I miss cassette tapes. Uh, Letter B. It was so much fun to be a college radio DJ. It really was. I was so fortunate to be able to be at a a college where there was a radio station. um, And there was a radio station that was just accepting people to come, you know, and be DJs. Um, It was... You know, you learn how to budget time. You learn how to work equipment. You learn how the record industry works. You, um, you know, you have to work your way up the ladder like I was talking about. You know, you kind of start off with the bullshit and you kind of get to a point where 
you can pick your shots by the time you're a junior or senior. It was just a really cool thing. You know, me and my buddy, um, Chris Udon, Hudsey, we had a sports talk show one year. I did it with John Scott as well. Um, you know, so it, it, uh, it was just a, a, a great way to spend a couple hours, a couple times a week. You know, and back then, there were no playlists. There was nothing was digital. It was all either on a tape or on a record, mostly records. So we'd go there, me and my buddies would go there like a couple, you know, maybe like an hour before my show was on. And we'd go through the entire, you know, record collection of the radio station, which you can imagine is enormous. It was just stacks and stacks of, of vinyl. And we would just go through and like pull out stuff that we wanted to play. And then we would just sit there and play tunes, you know, have some fun, talk shit, take, you know, take requests, uh, you know, rag on our friends with the loudest megaphone which is the radio station, and just have a good time. It was a lot of fun. Um, so I, I, I really appreciate that, that time. Um, Pat uh, Denizio, once again, the subject of the interview that you're going to hear soon, promise. Uh, he passed away in 2017, uh, rest in peace, uh, huge musical talent. And, uh, you know, musical talent to me is so awe-inspiring. It, I, I can't play anything. I've tried. I've tried to play the guitar. I tried to play the flute. I tried to. Well, I tried to play the guitar three times. Drums a couple times. Uh, piano a couple times. Um, you know, freaking harmonica. I. I <laughs> um, there was not an instrument that wasn't attempted. Trumpet. I actually had a legit trumpet. Oh, by the way, my daughter faked playing the flute for three years um, in uh, sixth, seventh, and eighth grade. Never got caught. Um, but I wasn't even good enough to fake playing. I couldn't play anything. Um, so, you know, I was, I was always like in such awe of the people that could play. And then you look at people that are able to play, not just play, but then write and compose songs that other people actually like listening to. It's amazing. So, you know, um, it's really awe-inspiring to me and, uh, it was great to be able to talk to him. So, um, rest in peace, Pat Denizio. Um, letter E. While I was uh, while I was a DJ, um, I was able to uh, interview a number of different uh, musical acts. Most of them weren't big. Most of them were, you know, locals. You know, uh, like Gandhi's Lunchbox out of Portsmouth, New Hampshire. Um, they got kind of close to fame once. Uh, Lamb's Bread, which is a um, Vermont-based reggae band, amazing. Islandside, which is a Portsmouth-based reggae band. I think they're actually still playing in some form. Uh, a few solo acts that I forget the name of, and I almost got the chance to interview the Beastie Boys, which would have been uh, the crown jewel on my career at PCR Radio. Um, but at the last minute, something happened. I forget exactly what it was, and I don't want to ex- you know, expand the truth too much, but one of them, one of the three Beastie Boys, got into some kind of trouble I think somebody got arrested for something and they they were unable to make it or they got detained overseas when they were flying because of a visa issue or something like that. It was something to that effect. Um, But anyways, didn't get a chance to do them. But uh, I did get a chance to interview a lot of people and it was a lot of fun. Uh, Letter F, I need to officially thank and acknowledge my parents uh, my, my wonderful, awesome parents for turning me on to music. Um, thank God they both had 
great taste. I mean, music was on all the time when I was growing up at my dad's house. My, my parents were divorced. My dad's house, there was music. My mom's house, there was music. And there was two different types of music being played, but they were both good quality music. You know, my mom had Elton John. My mom had Fleetwood Mac. My mom had, you know, some Steely Dan. My mom had, you know, uh, Little Feet. Um, and she had this whole chunk of music that she really appreciated. And, and I'm telling you, it was always on. Music was always on. My dad had, you know, of course, Bob Dylan, The Clash, you know, Joni Mitchell, Neil Young, um, you know, bands, Bob Marley, bands that, you know, are still near and dear to my heart today. But again, it was always, always playing. So having music around all the time, having good music around, having them go to stores and buy LPs and add it to their collection, you know, that really kind of started me on the path of being someone that really appreciated music and it's such a huge part of my life now. And so, again, uh, my parents deserve praise for getting that started. So thank you very much. And without any further ado, I'm going to play this interview for y'all. Uh, again, not great quality, but it's not about the quality. It's about the, uh, the historical value, if you will. Let's see if I can press play here. Yeah, okay. And um, let's see how this works. Oh, listen to that lovely hiss, huh? Isn't that great? Deal. How, uh, when did you put your first album out after you started uh, well, it's been playing together? History recording wise. So we put out our first independently released four song seven inch uh, vinyl EP with a picture sleeve back in uh, 1980, Halloween of mm -hmm. 1980, in fact. And the second independent release came out in June of 83, which was a record called Beauty and Sadness, which has been re released by uh, Capitol. And, uh, because of your recent success, or just because they always do that to albums? Just out of curiosity. Well, no, I mean, if, if there wasn't any success to, to speak of, even they, they wouldn't have released it. That's just how it works. Oh, I see. But um, uh, the first legitimate major label release came out in uh, July of '86, and it was our first record called "Especially for You," which is sort of the greatest hits package uh, by a band that no one had ever heard of. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the songs were written uh, and arranged over a period of, of six years. Okay. How long have you been on tour now, Pat? Uh, we, we've done about a week's worth of touring so far. Where, where did it start at? Uh, we did um, a show in Sacramento, California, two in Dallas, wow. uh, Chicago, Indianapolis. Now, uh, does that get tiring? So that must get really tiring. Well, we're not tired at this point yet, Ethan, because uh, you know we've only been on the road for about a week. It, it, it sure does, though, when you're looking back on a year of one-nighters in a different city, um, yeah. different town each night for, the, for a period of a year. I mean, I can't even imagine that. It just was so ragged. Um, where is the uh, where will the t uh, tour take you after you uh, visit Plymouth State College tomorrow night? Um, I believe we're going to uh, New Britain, Connecticut, then a club called Toads in New Haven, then uh -huh. Norfolk, Virginia, uh, Baltimore, Seabright, New Jersey, Toronto, wow. Columbus, Ohio, Ann Arbor, Michigan, Cincinnati, Grand Rapids, Ohio, uh, St. Louis, uh, Memphis, you know, all Mexico City. Various geographic locations exactly, across the country. Yeah. It's certainly an education. Now, are you planning to go uh, abroad with your show? Are you planning to go over Europe at all? Or? Yeah, in fact, I, I just got back from Europe doing a press tour. I went over there with an acoustic guitar and uh, played live on the radio and went to Brussels, went to Amsterdam, mm -hmm. Paris, uh, Cologne, Germany, England. Wow. Uh, yeah, it was very interesting. It was uh, 10 very accelerated work days uh, uh, and 
fans over there compared to the fans back here in the stage are they are they less energetic do they don't they don't get into it as much or um, it just depends on the, on the situation or the environment that you create within the venue mm-hmm. or on stage uh, I think uh, music fans are essentially the, the same all over the world yeah. certain obvious sociological and cultural differences um, uh, in, in certain markets they're a little more restrained uh, than others for example in Spain the audiences um, go nuts physically and they're, they're very willing to, to be involved in the show on a physical level I got you. you know? Sure, sure. Now, how, if at all, has your music evolved from 1980 when you put your first album out? Has it has it become a, a harder form of music? Has well, I, I think it's come around full circle, basically. No, no two albums really resemble each other in terms of the sound of each album. Musically, perhaps, and songwriting-wise, they're all very similar. There's a, a common thread that unites all the work. Right. The, um, the band very much started uh, as a garage band. We still consider ourselves a garage band although perhaps a more sophisticated one. And um, well, our sound in the early days is a, a very jangly, clean, 60s-oriented pop sound with 12-string uh-huh. guitar and uh, six-string Gretsch guitars and Fender basses. And uh, eventually, through many, many years of being on the road and a natural sort of evolution of, of uh, sound, it got a bit heavier and more aggressive over the years. Right. In fact, the Smithereens 11 with uh, songs like A Girl Like You and Blues before... Very that, hard. Yeah, we're, we're perhaps a reflection of that. But we, we sort of taken it back full circle to the roots, both live and, and uh, studio-wise with our new album, Blow Up. And it's, it's a lot more pop-oriented, which is what the band has always been about. That's great. That's great. Speaking of the new album, do you have any uh, favorite tracks off it? I was listening to it. I, I like the uh, Tell Me You Did Something. Yeah, Tell Me When the Things Go So Wrong. Yeah, that's a yeah, pretty good... I, I, I like that lyrically. Um, I mean, for me, it's, it's a very revealing or telling commentary lyrically for me personally. Uh, I mean, when I was in high school, it was uh, sort of considered uh, very grotesque to talk about money mm-hmm. or to talk about business. We were sort of out to change the world, uh, turn ourselves on, turn the Socially world Socially conscious? Yeah, yeah. To, to a great extent, it was about changing things. And then over uh, the period of a decade or more, things seemed to have changed, and uh, it's certainly disturbing to me personally. So that, that lyrically is what that song is about. Right. And, uh, there's other things I like. I like the inclusion of strings on several of the tunes on the new record, several of the recordings of the tunes on the new album, which is the direction we hadn't pursued. There's uh, a bit more of an R&B black music influence on the writing of the songs on the new album. Huh. Okay. Um, now, speaking of the new album, how are the sales of uh, Blow Up? Are they pretty it's good? Doing, it's doing well so far. I think it's selling more at this point in its release schedule than uh, Smithereens 11, its predecessor, was at the same time. And uh, that, that's heartening indeed. We're, we We've only been on the road for a week, and it's doing quite well, so we're, That's we're, great. Op- we're optimistic, considering how much competition there is at this point, if you look at the charts. Now, uh, speaking historically, ha- have your uh, album sales increased with each release, or have there been b- basically a, a plateau? Or um, I-, I would say that uh, things have increased. We've sort of built our career um, bit by bit, which I think is the best way to do it. I mean, so often you'll hear of a group coming out, and they'll have a platinum album, and then the next one will just totally disappear from sight. Right. We, our career has been a building process, which is really the way we've wanted it. Sure, similar to that of R.E.M.? Yeah, yeah, I would say so. We're always about two to three years behind R.E.M. because, indeed, they got their record deal and had their first release two to three years before we had our first. Right, right. 
Um, what were some of your personal uh, influences as far as music goes and the way you play your music and present, present yourself as an artist? Well, the, the influences are really countless. Uh, the primary influence upon the sound of the band was the classic AM pop radio that we grew up listening to in the 60s. Uh, mm-hmm. Music of the Beach Boys, the Birds, Bob Dylan, the Beatles, the Kinks. Right. And then in the 70s, uh, the Ramones and the Talking Heads and even a band like Devo, for example, which sure. is not an obvious influence, more of an attitude influence. Um, and then... Uh, Beyond that, rediscovering Buddy Holly and the classic songwriters like Lennon McCartney, Keith Jagger, Mick Richards, yep. Mick Jagger, Keith Richards, and uh, Brian Wilson of the Beach Boys. Sure. Uh, and for me, growing up, uh, listening to the music of Black Sabbath, you know, for that matter. Ozzy. Yeah. <laughs> well, that, the guitar sound of uh, Tony Iommi from Black Sabbath was uh, a major influence on me. And you can hear it in songs like Girl Like You and Blues before and after that uh-huh. heavy guitar sound melded or married to the melodic pop sensibility of the Beatles. Right. That's pretty interesting. Uh, now, what do you listen to as far as uh, music goes? What's your taste in music? Uh, in terms of my taste, I, I tend to listen more toward classic or mainstream jazz at home. Things like Miles Davis, Ornette Coleman, or um, John Coltrane or Sonny Rollins, I, uh, or soundtrack albums like uh, Ennio Morricone or Bernard Herrmann, who did most of the Hitchcock movies. I, I tend to not listen to a lot of rock and roll right. at home because Just we live it. it. You know, we're, right. we're hearing it all the time for a year at a clip on the road and uh, quite frankly there isn't a lot that I hear that really turns me on mm-hmm. that much and it's a conscious decision to not want to be influenced by anything when I'm writing right now on the same vein uh, of that you, you get tired of hearing the same music do you ever get sick of playing like Top of the Pops or one of your more popular songs over and over again and hearing it on the radio and then having to keep going on tour and playing it and be excited no, about no, it no. as long as the audience really wants to hear those songs we're fortunate in that you know we can play them for them. Uh, Top of the Pops, for example, is still new. We've only done right. it seven or eight times live in front of an audience, so that's new. But uh, I, I believe in uh, doing faithful live renditions of the songs as they were recorded, because that's truly the way the audience is used to hearing them and how they want to hear them. When right. I go to see uh, someone in concert, I, I really detest when they mess with the arrangement. It's, it's so far removed from the recorded version that um, you can't tell what it is, and I think that's... Uh, on the part of the performer and the live artist, that's they're being bored with their own material and trying to find a way to reinvent it, which is really ultimately a slap in the face of the audience. Huh. Yeah. Now, as far as tomorrow night's show goes, do you have a uh, certain... Are you going to play mostly all the stuff off the new blow-up album? Or are you going to um, play... Uh, no, no, we... We'll, we'll, we it'll sort of be like an 11-year retrospective of, of uh, most of the best stuff that we've recorded. We, we don't focus solely on one album on any given tour. Obviously, we'll do four or five new songs from Blow Up, but the rest of it will be um, a cross-section of the best of our previous three albums. I, uh, I I believe it's also too soon in the tour and in terms of the release date of the record to just lay this whole new trip upon the audience when they're not really right. um, used to the new album yet. They haven't had time to live with it. It usually takes anywhere from three months to, to a year for people to be totally acclimated or, or used to the new material. So, right. uh, you know, we might take some requests as well. Cool. Great. Um, now, are you a baseball fan, Pat? Um, I, I haven't followed it in a long time. I mean, I'm more of a fan in, in the sense of I like to play myself. Yeah. In fact, I played in a game in Los Angeles several months ago. The, it's a rock and roll charity, the T.J. Martell Foundation. I was on the Motley Crue team playing softball versus <laughs> the Alice Cooper team. And the team I played on was uh, Tommy Lee from Motley Crue, Rob Lowe, the infamous video. Rob Lowe, huh? Video Rob Lowe and Roseanne Barr and her husband Tom Arnold versus Alice Cooper, Warrant, and the guys from Spinal Tap. Let me get this straight. You had to play with Roseanne Barr. Yeah. Wow, that must have been a sight. Sing the national anthem. Athleticism at its best, I see. (laughs) 
she, she was actually very, very quiet. Really? You know, in, in direct contrast to her uh, TV and screen persona. I heard her husband's kind of a kind of a loud mouth, though, huh? No, he was actually um, a nice guy. Was he? Um, I, I, they, they getting a bad was, rap from really, the press, you I think? I think he felt the need to talk about his experience with AA and NA. I mean, he went through the program. I think part of the program is that you, ha you have to talk about it. Right. Now, in your travels as a band, have you ever... Uh, have you ever been in this, up, up this parts before and played like an area around the Plymouth area? Or? Yeah, I, I believe so. We may have even played Plymouth before. Oh, wow. But oh. that might have been like two or three tours ago. Oh, okay. Like what, with uh, what, Behind the Wall of Sleep, what album was that off of? That was on Especially For You. Uh, okay. Which came out in 86. That was when you first started getting yeah. major airplay, is that right? Um, yeah, pretty much so, yeah. yeah. That, that tour, the tour in support of Especially For You lasted about 15 months. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. Now, having all that time to, to to have to go out on tour, do you have what do you? How much do you find yourself for spare time? And when you do have it, what do you what do you like to do? Um, like to talk on the phone with interviewers. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I I travel with um, this huge briefcase full of about five hundred uh, videotapes of movies that are near and dear to me. I, I tend to watch a lot of movies on the tour bus. I tend to catch up on reading. Um, I need to have a guitar close at hand so that if I have an idea, I can play it or sing it into a tape recorder. Um, uh, I'm a writer as well. I'm uh, getting into the movie thing. I'm, I'm working on a screenplay that I, that I hope to direct. I made some connections out in Hollywood through the band. Great. Yeah, so I'm, I'm just trying to... Branching out. Yeah, well, and also you, you sort of find yourself in a position where you can exploit whatever notoriety you have career-wise, in this case, mine through the smithereens to get into other things. I, I did a part in a movie recently uh, with Matt Dillon and Bridget Fonda. It's a movie coming out in February, Warner Brothers film called Singles. So that'll... Uh, was it a big part? Was it a cameo? Or was it? I was in about 10 scenes, but quite frankly, then I think that by the time they edit the movie, I'll, I'll be in one scene or something. Usually really? uh, something like that, your part winds up on the cutting room floor, you know, if it's a major part. But I was able to parlay that into a few other opportunities. Now, do you um, have a hand in helping the directors make your videos, or is that solely up to the record industry, or what, how does that happen? Well, uh, in our case, when we signed with Capitol Records, it was important to us after having been together fully for six years before inking that deal, that we had complete creative control, and they were That's great. great. They were gracious enough to give that to us. So, in any Smithereens project, be it a video or an album that we've released, um, we have the final sound. Everything contractually. And so Shouldn't that be? That that should be the way it is with everybody, don't you well, think? It should be, but a lot of uh, young bands that come out don't have the experience, don't realize uh. that they should or can ask for that. So, in terms of the videos, we usually script or write the videos, and uh, in essence, we co-direct them. And we only work with people who are, are nice people, who are sympathetic to what we're doing and who are easy to get along with. Uh, and it's really our project from beginning to end, and we're not interested in anyone else's ego as concerns our project. That's great. That's cool. Um, who are some of your fr uh, favorite filmmakers? You said you have like 500 movies. What kind of movies do you like to watch? Truffaut, a lot of the Hitchcock stuff, Martin Scorsese, John Ford. Um, you know, pretty. Uh, I think my philosophy, personal philosophy in terms of what I like in, in, in film is the same as... Uh, the people that I I like songwriting-wise, the songwriters I like, I, you know, the type of songs I like um, are the type that uh, can you can you can say of these songs that if you if you can't say it in three minutes or less, it's not worth saying. It's the same thing with films. I mm -hmm. like uh, craftsman-like movies, movies about characters that tell a story and uh, are simple visually. You know, I'm not into being impressed. I'm not into big special effects movies unless it's of a Star Wars type nature where you know it was. Uh, revolutionized the genre for a brief period. Right. But, um, you know, I like I like simple things. Now, ha have you seen, do you feel the quality of movies over the past few decades have gone down and there's only a few classics that are emerging here and there or do you think well, that basically... I think, I think the 70s were a great time for 
things came out came out of the 80s, but no, nothing that has really knocked my socks off or nothing I feel will really stand the test of time. Um, I think most of what I liked from the 80s um, were, were British films, yeah. you know, uh, which dealt with uh, small situations and characters and were, uh, in essence, low-budget movies. And I tend to like the European cinema a lot better. I think my, my favorite movie of the last couple of months was a film called La Femme Nikita, mm-hmm. which I liked, which was almost a pop art movie, but again, was about characters. And, um, now, as far as uh, size of venues that you play, I, I know how big Foley Gymnasium is, but as far as the other dates you're going to be playing, are, are certain areas of the country more receptive to you and have a larger uh, capacity for your, your concerts? And yeah, well, it, it depends. You know, it depends on what we call the market, but we're playing it. It's dependent on how many records we've sold and how the airplay has been. A lot of um, what uh, the success of a tour is contingent on is how much MTV airplay you're getting at the time and what your pu- public image or profile is. They are definitely the uh, thought leaders in the music industry, huh? Yeah, well, I mean, like, we just played Gainesville and there were 10,000 kids. Yeah. You know, in L.A. we can draw about five or 6,000. It just depends on where you are and how well your record is doing. And, I mean, the, as Bachman Turner Overdrive said in, in their famous song, Rock Is My Life, this is my song, you're only as good as your last record. Now, are you going to have a videotape that accompanies uh, the blow-up album? Yeah, there's a video out for a song now called Top of the Pops, which I believe is on MTV, which we filmed in and around Atlantic City. But you're not going to have anything as far as like an actual release of like a video cassette with a um, compilation of videos? Well, or? we have one already that came out about a year ago. It's called Smithereens 10, and it's a collection of um, 10 videos. Um, Behind the Wall of Sleep, Blood and Roses, Only in Memory, Drown in My Own Tears, Girl Like You, um, that we've done over the course of the past five years. A lot of them, uh, apparently, our audience didn't even know we had done because the way it's worked with us, we usually have a single that's popular and MTV will get on the video very heavily and then they, they sort of uh, tend to ignore the rest of them. But we're, we're proud of the video work we've done. I think it's, uh, it's been a conscious attempt on our part to provide more positive role models for, for the audience. Yeah, it's good to know that all the uh, all the things you see on the video is all thought up by you, too. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a direct reflection of uh, the mind of the band. Yeah, it's to get you acquainted with the songs better, too. Yeah, um, we also don't like to portray the, um, the songs so literally uh, so that uh, the lyric content or whatever imagery is inherent in the song itself is ruined by the visuals. You know, the, the, the vi- videos are pretty much purposely sketchy or, in general, performance pieces that still leave... Uh, Okay, Pat, well, I'd like to thank you for your time. First off, I know you must have uh, all kinds of schedules going everywhere and people telling you where to be. Uh, I'd like to thank you for taking the time, and I'd like to uh, remind everybody out in the audience, uh, tomorrow night in the Foley Gymnasium at 8 p.m., Smithereens will be promoting their new blow-up album with a concert. should be a great one. Tickets cost $7 with a student ID, $10 without a student ID, and you can pick them up at the Pace office, right, which is right in the Cub, and you can pick them up also right at the door. Um, Pat, is there anything you'd like to say to the uh, folks at Plymouth State before we... Uh, You heard it right here on PCR. Pat, and right now, Pat, we're going to hear uh, the track I was talking about earlier off the blow-up album, uh, Tell Me When Did Things Go So Wrong. Thank you, Ethan. Surely, and I'll see you tomorrow night, Pat. Bye-bye. We used to have on rock radio before it even went to colleges. It went to colleges five months after. And there it is, folks. That is the uh, interview from so many years ago. Um, it's hard to believe that I was 19 or I guess I was 19. Um, in that I sound like I was, I don't know, 12 and from some other dimension. 
Um, but that was fun. And, um, you know, what a, what a gracious guy he was to sit there. I mean, looking back on my questions, I, I, I wasn't really doing a good job trying to connect with him and he was so gracious. He really wasn't, uh, as infuriated with me as he, as he probably could have been or should have been. But anyway, that was a, that was fun. That little trip down memory lane. I hope you guys enjoyed it. And once again, that was a first for the no outlet podcast. Maybe we'll pull out some more from the, uh, I got a whole box of cassette tapes over there and all kinds of stuff on there. Um, I think I've got an interview with my mom from when I was 12 that might, uh, that might see the light of day. But until then, I hope you all have a fantastic time doing whatever you're doing. And thank you for listening to the No Outlet Podcast.